Well, what's up, church family? It is so good to see you this morning. Happy, happy Fourth of July weekend to you. Uh, it is a blessing to be able to once again be allowed by Brother Steve to, to preach the word here this morning. And uh, I'm so thankful to be with you. And I know that we do have guests in the room who it's their first time here at Bellevue. Thank you so much for joining us and for being with us. Uh, Bellevue family, aren't you grateful we have guests in the room this morning? Amen? Yes, thank you. Thank you for being with us. Well, as Pastor said, my name is Daniel Harris, and I have the privilege to open up God's Word with you this morning, and I'm excited for what we have, and so I want to jump straight into it. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, I want you to go ahead and find Psalm 63. I want you to go ahead and in your Bible, find Psalm 63, and if you're taking notes, I hope that you are this morning, I want to go ahead and give you my title and what we're going to talk about this morning. And so coming out of Psalm 63, the title of the message this morning is very straightforward, and it's this, God's right hand. God's right hand. When I gave my life to the Lord at 21 years old and started coming to Bellevue a week later after that, it was verses in the Bible, the verses that spoke to me the most early on were the ver verses about God's righteous right hand. And I wanna spend a little bit of time talking about that with you this morning and what that represents. Man, we are in the middle of summertime. I hope that you're having a good summer. Anybody enjoy, enjoying summer, amen? Yeah. Woo! It is hot in Memphis. <laughs> it is hot in Memphis. I don't know if drivers in Memphis get worse in the wintertime or the summertime, <laughs> but it is hot in Memphis and we're feeling the effects of it. But I love summertime and I had the privilege to go to Beach Week this past week with our high school ministry and had to hang out with some of the seniors and hang out with some of our college students who are counselors and Man, we all jumped in the pool at the end of the week. It was very fun just celebrating what God had done. But man, as we're in the middle of summer, I love swimming. Swimming is one of my favorite things to do. It can be peaceful. It can be relaxing. If you're like my wife, you love to get afloat and lay out and read a book in the pool. But swimming can also turn dangerous very, very quickly. For me, I remember when I was a kid, I went to a party. I think it was a birthday party at one of my friend's houses. And he had an in-ground pool and uh, they were all jumping in and acting crazy. And one of the things about swimming for me that I've never been able to do, that I've been jealous of, is there's some people, and if you can do this, you just do it naturally like it's nothing. There's some people who can open their eyes underwater. And they're like fine with it. First time I ever tried that, my eyes were burning out of my head. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I was looking at the other kids as a 10-year-old. I was like, these kids are some psychopaths. I don't know how they do this. Eyes burning red. And I remember when I was at... Uh, in the pool, I was swimming, and I went down, and I, I didn't have any goggles on, and I'm too afraid to open my eyes so I couldn't see, and I was swimming around at the bottom of the pool. I was probably seven or eight years old, and I try to come up for air. I want to swim up, and there's a lot of kids in the pool. It's a big party, and there's floats around inside the pool, and as I come up, my head hits something, and I realize, it's, it's terrifying. You've probably had this moment before. I realize that I am underneath a float that has two kids on it, and I can't get up for air, and I'm, you know, not confident enough to open my eyes underwater so I can't see which direction to go in either. And for me as an eight-year-old, what happened was, you know this feeling, panic. <laughs> Sheer panic takes over my body. For one reason, one, I couldn't breathe, chest gets real tight, start feeling real tense. Two, couldn't see where to go. I had no direction, I had no clarity as to how I could get back up for air. And for me as an eight-year-old, it's a traumatizing moment, but I wanna tell you this, I've never forgotten this moment of panic, this moment of tightness in my chest, this feeling of not knowing how to get up for air. See, all of us in this room 
in the middle of summertime, in the, biz, in the busiest, one of the busiest seasons we have, we know what that feeling is like in life too. So that feeling that you are trapped and you can't get up for air, that feeling of tightness in your chest is the same feeling we experience, if we're gonna be honest this morning, when we experience fear, when we experience worry, when we experience anxiety, when we experience loneliness, when we experience life getting hard. A lot of you have lived long enough to know that life is hard. Can I get an amen? There's trials and obstacles that happen and sometimes we feel in life like we're trapped underwater. Like we can't breathe, but not only that, we don't know which direction to go in in order to get the air, we feel trapped. And no matter how much we try to lift ourselves, we keep hitting something. As a Christian and a non-Christian, I lived my life as a non-believer for 21 years, I wanna tell you, there were many times in my life where I experienced this panic, and I know you have too, because it's hard to remain calm when life breaks you down. It's hard to not feel that panic and that fear and that anxiety when a loved one gets sick and the diagnosis is not good. It's hard to remain calm when you lose your job or when a coworker starts drama with you or when a friend, a loved one that you trust betrays you or, or talks bad about you or when one of your children are not living for the Lord. It's hard to always remain calm and just trust the Lord and we feel that moment of panic. In fact, I'll tell you this, Peter was very familiar with that moment too. Because if you remember right, in Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus comes walking to them on the water in the storm, and I love that passage because he didn't have to calm the water in order to walk to him. He walked towards him in the middle of the storm, which says a lot about the character and the power of Jesus. He comes to him, and Peter, remember, steps out of the boat and begins walking to Jesus. Here it is right here. I'll show you. Peter knows this moment. We're talking about this moment. Matthew 14, verse 27, it says this. Jesus immediate, immediately Jesus spoke to them and he said, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. And climbing out of the boats, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter's situation has become tense. There is panic. His eyes have shifted to the world, the storm, the winds, and he begins sinking. Can I tell you, there's a lot of us in here who are experiencing the same thing in our daily walk. We're sinking and we don't know what to do. And I love this. One thing we can take away from this text is this right here. It'll be on the screen. We will always sink when our eyes bow in worship to the world instead of bowing in worship to Jesus. Peter's little faith keeps him on the water as long as his eyes are on Jesus. But the moment he begins to focus on the wind and the trial and the storm, he begins to sink. And some of us in here are sinking because our eyes are focused on the world. Peter cries out for help. Matthew 14, 31 says this. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught a hold of him, and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? One, one reason I love this text is because Jesus grabs Peter with his hand when he is drowning. Now, church family, what I'm excited to talk about this morning is that this is a beautiful, beautiful picture when you realize how much the Bible talks about God's hand, specifically God's righteous right hand. It's one of the most encouraging, empowering 
truths to know about Scripture because Scripture talks a lot about it. In fact, God's righteous right hand is mentioned all throughout the Bible, and whenever it's mentioned, it at least, I'm just gonna give you three, there's more, it at least refers to one of three symbols that I'm gonna show you this morning that I'm very passionate about that have impacted me very personally, and I pray impact with you, and I pray this sticks with you for a long, long time. Now, in Psalm 63, we find a Psalm of David when he's in the wilderness, and he's on the run, being chased and hunted by King Saul. He's experiencing a whole lot of trauma. He's in a storm, he's in a battle, he's in a trial. This is one of my favorite Psalms. And so look with me and let's see what David says in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a trial. This is Psalm 63, starting in verse one. David says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. Are we desperate for the Lord in that way? So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. Verse three, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. The world is chasing life. It is chasing money and success and being known in popularity. But David has come to a point where he realizes God's love is better than even life. Wow, verse four. So I will bless you as long as I live. David says, because of that, because of who you are, I will bless you as long as I live. My life is yours because you are better than my life. I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Verse six. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches. How many of you know some of the greatest temptations from the enemy come at two times of the day, as soon as you wake up and as soon as you go to sleep? Two of the times you are attacked the most. Think about it. Some of you have never thought about that before. I hadn't until a few months ago. For a lot of us in here, most of our spiritual warfare, a good amount of our spiritual warfare happens the minute our eyes open and as soon as we try to lay down and go to sleep. Because the enemy knows if he can get you the moment your eyes open, if he can get you away from God in the morning, he can, he can get you to live for yourself instead of God throughout the day. And when you lay down at night, what goes through your mind? Is it the goodness of the Lord and how good he is or is it worry and fear and anxiety and all the things that attack us? David realizes that. He says, I meditate on you during the night. Watch this. Verse seven, because you are my helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. And then verse eight, I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. Not only that, but I couldn't do a message like this without cross-referencing Isaiah 41.10, of course, which our pastor is walking through the book of Isaiah right now. Isaiah 41.10 says this so beautifully. Fear not, for I am with you. Don't be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let me give you three things God's righteous right hand represents. Let me give you number one. Number one is God's right hand offers protection. In fact, pastor spoke on this a little bit last week. I wanna follow up, not to have anything to add that he didn't cover, he did it perfectly, of course, amen. But I have a little bit I wanna to add too. God's right hand offers protection. Parentheses, a shield. How many of you know that our hands are an incredible blessing, amen? amen? When's the last time you ever just stopped and thought about your hands? I'm serious, I'm not joking, I think about it a lot. 
I think about my hands. I think about how, how much we communicate using our hands, do we not? When I was first coaching basketball, when I was lost and living for the world, I was trying to coach my players, and one of the biggest ways I would encourage them sometimes is just placing a hand on their shoulder when I was giving them, giving them encouragement or exhortation. I would use my hand to encourage and instill confidence. You think about your loved ones. You use your hands kindly and gently and delicately, and we use our hands for communication all the time. These are a great blessing. There's no better feeling than when I'm on a walk and I'm holding my wife's hand and her hand is secure in my hand unless it's hot outside and my hands get sweaty and then all right, we're done with the romance stuff. This is a little hot outside for all that, right? Amen. But it's sweet when it's like 75 degrees outside. Y'all know it's true. Sometimes it's too hot to hold hands. Don't act like it's not. Sometimes it's too much, especially in Memphis. (laughs) We use our hands for communication all the time. I want to tell you this, though. As great of a blessing as our hands are, God's right hand is an even greater blessing than ours. God's right hand, when it's used all throughout Scripture, symbolizes so many different things that are so incredible. And the first one I want to talk to you about is protection. Now, David has people trying to kill him, which is something David's experienced a good amount of times. David had his trials. David had his battles. And as David is talking here in Psalm 63, he highlights very specifically, and he does in other Psalms as well, that God's right hand is the thing protecting him. I love some translations of Psalm 63, eight. Some say, this R says, I follow close to you. Some say, my soul clings to you. You imagine that picture. And he says, it's your right hand that holds on to me. And his right hand holds on to you. If you are a believer in Christ, you are in God's righteous right hand. It's protection, it's a shield. I remember when I was young, me and my dad would always go to Memphis Grizzlies games together. Anybody like the Grizzlies? Amen. John Morant. Hopefully we don't get Kevin Durant. I think that would be terrible. I loved the Grizzlies growing up. And we would go to games. And the games, you know, especially in January, it's dark outside. It's cold. Uh, There would be an overtime game. I think I was maybe 10 years old. We went to an overtime game at the FedEx Forum. And it got out late. And we were leaving. We were walking back to our car. And I was just yay high. I was eight years old. And I was walking with my dad, and we went down this path that was very dark and dimly lit and not a lot of people around in downtown Memphis. And we get to this path, and there's this guy who's causing like a fuss. I remember little details here and there of the moment. I don't remember a whole lot of it. My dad could tell you better. But he had been drinking. He was causing a, a, a scene. He was being loud. And for me, I was terrified. I was terrified of this man. I'm yay high. He's a big dude. He's acting obnoxious, and I don't know what to do. And I can remember it like it was yesterday as me and my dad were leaving the FedEx Forum. The man's over there, I'm walking with my dad, my dad's right here and I see this man and I'm terrified, and I'm scared, and I'm worried. And this is all my dad does. You'll remember a moment like this of a loved one. All my dad does in this moment when I'm terrified is he takes that big old paw he had. <laughs> to me it looked gigantic. It's a normal size hand. I don't think he has like a dysfunction or something. <laughs> you see my dad, it's like massive. No, it's a normal hand, but for me, it looked massive, and he reaches out, and I'm right by his side, and this is all he does, you ready? This is all he does, he goes, and he sweeps me right behind him, so I'm walking in between him and my problem. Can I tell you, I've never felt more safe, I've never felt more protected, and I've never felt more loved. Some of you don't feel safe, you don't feel protected, you feel at risk and at danger, and it's because the problems in your life, you are still taking them on face on, you have not allowed God to get in between you and your problem. Amen. See, that man didn't want nothing to do with my dad. 
My dad's tough. I love my dad. My dad's my hero. He's going to fight for me. There's no problem in your life that can stand face to face with God. Not even close. Do you realize that? Do you know that the enemy fails miserably to ever come close to Jesus Christ, to God? That it's not even a competition? (laughs) That when you trust the Lord for protection, there is nothing that can get through to you because he holds you in his righteous right hand. I'll tell you this, though. Let's go back to the elementary teachings of a shield. If God's right hand is a shield, let me tell you this. In order to be protected by a shield, you have to get behind the shield. (laughs) A shield is no good to you if you're standing out in front of it trying to be seen. You're going to get hit. See, the only way, it's elementary, I know, but we don't practice it. The only way to truly be protected by a shield is to realize that you can't protect yourself. you got to get behind something that can protect you. And the only thing they can do it is the righteous right hand of God. That means practically prayer. A prayerful believer is a protected believer, is a confident believer, is an assured believer. A prayerful believer is behind the shield of God so that when the enemy comes with his spiritual warfare, you have an anointing. You have a shield that stands between you and the enemy. Doesn't mean you don't experience any problems. Doesn't mean you don't have problems. It means your problems don't have you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. His right hand is that strong. My dad sweeped me behind him and there were no other problems. Let me tell you, whatever problems you are facing, God's right hand is your protection. It is your shield. It does not allow anything to harm your soul when you are protected by the Lord. Even though people can harm the body, they cannot harm the soul if you are held by God. And that's a great promise. It's a great promise. And he does that because he loves you and he cares for you. Which means in your life, I wanna give you some confidence and some encouragement this morning. If you're following God, following God, if you are obeying God, that means you are actively behind God, which means you are protected. So what are you worried about? Man, we, we live in a worried, anxious generation, do we not? And everybody's so worried. Everybody's so worried. Everybody's so anxious. I deal with college students on a daily basis. Let me tell you, our college students are worried. (laughs) They're worried about graduating on time. They're worried about their GPA. They're worried about their boo. (laughs) Their crush. The college students are worried, worried, worried. I see people all in the church, we're worried, we're anxious, we're stressed out. And two things that have had a major impact on this statistically is COVID, let's be real, and social media. Two things that have had a big impact on our anxiousness and our fear and our worry. I'll tell you this, though. Paul's very clear. Philippians chapter 4, he says this. Paul says, starting in verse 6, don't worry about anything. Brother Steve always says, I looked up anything in the Greek, and it means anything. (laughs) Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God look at this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you, a worried heart is not a worshiping heart. And this is something I've walked through all throughout my testimony. I've had counsel, I've had prayer, I've had scripture. I've understood and coming to understand every day that a worried heart is not a worshiping heart. It's not worshiping the Lord, that is. Now, Understand, as we see David in a trial here in Psalm 63 and all throughout his life, understand this. Fear is very different than worry and anxiety. Walk with me for a moment on this. Fear is very much about the present. 
okay? When you experience fear, that means that you are experiencing a present danger. With worry and anxiety, though, those don't deal as much with the present. Those deal more with the future. See, worry and anxiety is more concerned with I might be in danger down the road. And if you really think about it, a lot of what we worry and get anxious about are situations that we really don't know will or won't ever happen. And we get worried and we get anxious and we begin to not trust the Lord. I wanna tell you, ultimately, when you get worried and when you get anxious, that means you have a lack of trust in God's protection for you. And you feel threatened. You feel that there is a threat. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, if you think about it for a moment, when Jesus gives in Matthew chapter six the cure for anxiety, do you remember that text when he says, don't be anxious about anything? When he gives the cure for anxiety right before that, this is what he says. Let me show you what he says right before that. In Matthew chapter six, verses 19 to 21, it says this. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. And then verse 21, look at this. This comes right before, just verses before the cure for anxiety. It says this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The reason so many of us are worried and anxious all the time is because we have a treasure, but it's something worldly. Jesus says, don't treasure. Your ultimate treasure cannot be anything worldly because it's passing away. So the great attack the enemy has on you is to threaten, watch, that which you treasure most. So understand this. I'll put this on the screen. It'll be right here. Anxiety equals a threat to your treasure, which equals your heart. How the enemy attacks your heart is by attacking that which you treasure most. Now let's walk through this for a moment scripturally. Let's think about this here. What do you treasure most? My questions are, can it be threatened and does it change? If it can be threatened and it is changing, you will experience anxiety and worry. So think about this. If people's opinions are your treasure, can your treasure be threatened and attacked? Absolutely, people's opinions change faster than the Memphis weather. <laughs> people's opinions don't stick. What somebody thinks of you changes the very next day. You can step on somebody's toe and them love you one minute and hate you the next moment. If you being liked by everybody is your ultimate treasure, then when somebody doesn't like you, your treasure is under attack and you don't know why you feel worried and anxious. I'll tell you why, it's because your treasure is not Jesus. I'll give you another one, money. Uh-oh room shifts. Money changes constantly. <laughs> Literally by the day, the dollar sign is going up and down. If money is your ultimate treasure, money's not a bad thing. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. But understand, think about it. If money is your treasure, then when money comes under attack, and it will, when money is threatened, and it will, your heart is attacked, and you're worried, and you're anxious. I'll give you one more. Health. 
as great as health is. God's the one who gives us health. These are great things. At the end of the day, Jesus says your health cannot be your treasure because your health is passing away with the earth. If you've looked in the mirror, you realize you're getting older. I am too. We are passing away. So even your health, that's why David says, God's love is better than life because my life on this earth is passing away, so it's not my treasure. But guess what? The reason that God's love is David's treasure is because God's love is not passing away. Do you see it now? See, I asked you two questions about your treasure. Can it be threatened and does it change? Guess what? The Lord Jesus Christ cannot be threatened. (laughs) There is no threat. There's threats to your money. There's threats to your health. There's threats to your family. There's nothing that can threaten Jesus Christ because he is Lord of all and Lord over all. Amen. Hallelujah. And then I asked, is your treasure changing? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God's word is unchanging. God's character is unchanging. God himself is not changing. So understand this as simple as it is. David has found the cure. David has found that if his ultimate treasure is the presence of God, if his ultimate treasure is dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, there's no threat that can come against that. There's no changes that can be made to God's character. That means he can live a life where he does not have to worry or be anxious. That's where his confidence comes from. That's why Paul, at the end of his life, when he's in prison and his circumstances are terrible, he says, I have found the secret to being content in all situations. It's because his treasure is Jesus Christ. The reason, so take all that and here we are. The reason we live in such an anxious, worried generation, believers and non-believers, is because not only do we not truly treasure God's presence, we don't really desire it that often. Myself included. You know, when you store up a treasure, when you treasure something, that means you have a desperation for it. You have a love for it. You have a care for it. You're, you're so desperate for it. But a lot of us in this room, if we're honest, we're desperate for a lot of ministry. We're desperate for a lot of church sometimes. We're desperate for family. We're desperate for social media. But when it comes to the presence of God, are we desperate? So as an encouragement to you and a challenge this morning, David says, your right hand holds on to me. God's presence is his treasure. That's why when he's encamped by enemies, he has no reason to fear or worry or get anxious. Is God your treasure? Is Christ your ultimate treasure? If he is, and when he is, you will find the cure to anxiety and to worship. Romans 8, verse 38 to 39 says this. Paul says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor the things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Can't nothing separate you from Jesus. But I'm telling you, everything in this world can come under attack. Not only that, I'll give you number two. Not only is God's hand a shield, right? He shields us, he protects us, he holds on to us. But number two is this. God's right hand offers provision. God's right hand offers provision. And for this, I put in parentheses, to point or provide. Provision simply means to supply or provide something. And whenever you see God's right hand in Scripture, it often represents 
direction, guidance, him being our provider. And whenever you are directing somebody where to go, what will you often do? You will point. If you were here for Camp Outrageous, especially Monday, I bet you saw a whole lot of people pointing. I did. Pointing for classrooms, pointing for the worship center, pointing for children, pointing all over the place. We use our hands to point and guide and lead people and help them find where they need to go. And I wanna tell you, that's how God is interacting with you every day if you'll listen. That God's voice will be a one behind you saying, this is the way walking it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. That God is speaking and God is pointing and God is guiding and God is directing. And it might not be on your timeline, it's on his, but he is guiding you, he is pointing you. And I wanna tell you this right here, a believer that isn't living in God's word is a believer that isn't listening for God's voice. Many of us want to hear the voice of God, how it begins, that very first step, is to live in God's word, living in his presence, having a life where we desire him, even in the middle of summer. Because when you're in his word, you'll begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life, right here this morning. Those questions you have, You'll begin on God's timeline to get answers to him. In fact, throughout scripture, we see the Holy Spirit speak to people through promptings and impressions on people's heart, literally pointing where to go. Galatians chapter five, verse 25 says this. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I love that word step. It's this imagery of like dancing. When you're dancing with someone, you have to be in line with them and in step with them or else you start stepping on each other's toes. Paul says this beautiful imagery that when you're in step with the Holy Spirit, it's almost like dancing. Now that makes some Baptists a little nervous, but it's like dancing. <laughs> that you would be so in sync and in tune with the Holy Spirit that you would literally be moving and guided and walking with the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's painting an image of. Not only that, but Jesus refers to the Spirit as the counselor and the helper. In John 16, verse 13, I love this verse. Jesus says this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. Look at this. He will also declare to you what is to come. If you want to know where God wants you to go, start by listening to him. Listening to his word, praying and asking that he would speak. And I'll tell you this, the more you repent, the more sin you get out of, life, out of your life, the clearer God's voice becomes. It's amazing. If there's a blockage, if you feel like you can't hear God... There might be some sin in your life that you haven't dealt with. And this isn't in my notes. There may be something in your heart or in your life that God's calling you to repent of and get rid of before he really gives you that guidance, that, that wisdom, that direction that you're looking for. I've been there so many times where I had to humble myself. But not only does God's hand point, God's hand provides. You think about somebody opening their palm to you and handing you something, meeting you, a need, meeting a need you may have. Me and my wife, Hannah, a few months ago now, were at a friend's house, and we were finishing up. It was, it was nighttime, it was about 10 o'clock, 10.30, and we were getting ready to head home. And I've been having a lot of car trouble, man. I don't know about you, but my car been breaking down. My dad's mechanic, so I keep taking it to Pops. He keeps sending it back, just keeps on breaking down. It's one thing after another. I gotta get my turn signal fixed now. It just keeps on happening. The ignition's coming out every time I take my key out. I don't know what's wrong with this thing. But it's something. I still love my car, though. Grateful for it. I'm serious. There's been times where I had to write down, I am grateful for my car, because there's some people that don't have a car. 
And when people don't have a car and they hear you complain about your car trouble, they're like, get over it. <laughs> yeah, amen, there's one right there. <laughs> Somebody was like, I've been waiting for this forever. <laughs> amen. I've been having car trouble, man. It's not fun. It always hits at the worst time. We were leaving my friend's house, and as we were leaving, they handed us an envelope. Literally like this, they handed me an envelope. They said, here you go. I didn't think anything about it. I put it in my pocket. We left. We went out, got inside the car, started driving home. It was about a 30-minute drive from Oakland. It was late at night, and as we're driving, we realize more car trouble. <laughs> it hits, and we get back to the apartment. We get out of the car. We look at what happens, and we realize that we have just once again had something else happen with our car. And I kid you not, me and Hannah, we're in the kitchen and we're talking to each other about it and we're stressed, man. Like we're worried, we're, we're, we're tired of spending money on cars that keep breaking down. It's a real life problem. Pastors have it too, man. It's a real life thing. Like we go through it. And we're sitting there and this is what we said. This is what we said in the kitchen. We said to each other, we were like, this is gonna cost so-and-so amount to fix. Right, that's what we said. We threw out a number. We said, oh, this is gonna cost blank. This is gonna cost so-and-so to fix. And in that moment, I sighed, and as I sighed, and thought about the dollar sign we had just threw out. I put my hands in my pocket. When I did that, I felt the envelope that they had just given to us before we left. And so I pull out the envelope, and I open it up, this random gift they just gave us. And it's the exact amount of money as a gift that we just said we'd have to spend to get the car fixed. <laughs> Bro. And I'm standing, I'm like, did they plan this? <laughs> like, did they do something to the car? And like, we're gonna be a good Samaritan, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, how in the world? I was like, this is so trippy. And it didn't click in my brain first, like, wake up, dummy, this is an answer to prayer before you even prayed the prayer. <laughs> my wife looks at me, she goes, there God goes again, showing us that we're in control. <laughs> And it was this moment where praise the Lord for somebody hearing the voice of God and just obeying by blessing us. But I'll tell you this, God met our need while we were complaining before we even knew we had the need. There's no way they knew when we were leaving we were gonna have car trouble. They just felt an impression by God and they obeyed. And can I tell you that God is that good that he uses his righteous right hand to provide for you often before you even know there's a need. <laughs> before you even know there's a need. And sometimes he does that. Sometimes it happens and it's amazing and it's encouraging. He just affirms you. Me and Hannah are walking around like, man, God got us. You know, we got a new pep in our step. Like, God's good. And sometimes the greatest thing he provides, the greatest thing he does is not money, which is passing away. It's not a car. Sometimes when you're down and out and you're in need, sometimes the greatest thing he points you back to is himself. That it's not always about the food, the clothing, the roof. That when you're in need, sometimes the greatest thing, all he does is just remind you and gives you, hey, you have me. And in your trial, if you have me, at the end of the day, if you don't have food, water, and clothes, if you have God, you have enough. He's got you. Man, hallelujah. He provides for you with his right hand. He points you back to, he provided, we're gonna talk about this in a minute, he provided Jesus Christ on the cross. He offered up Jesus Christ to die for your sins and then rise from the dead three days later so that you and I have hope. New life. He provided Jesus. He sent his son down. If he has provided for your soul for all eternity, I guarantee you he will provide what you need here today. The question is, will you and I take the offering 
of what he's given us. And the very first thing is who he is and his presence and his son, Jesus Christ. He is pointing you, he is guiding you, he is providing for you, he is protecting you, he is shielding you. His righteous right hand is active. His word is sharper than a double-edged sword. He's moving. Philippians 4, verse 19, Paul says the exact same thing. He says, towards the end of the letter, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That God provides. That God provides. Where, where's your, before I give you number three, where's your application yet? Some of you are under attack. You're in a storm. You're sinking like Peter, and you just need to get behind God's shield. You need for Jesus to grab you by the hand and pull you up from the water. What's your application in the middle of summer on 4th of July weekend? For some of you, you're trying so desperately to figure out where to go with your career and your calling and your job and your future and your marriage. And, and if you would turn to God's word, he will point and guide you in the direction he's leading you. Some of you have a real deal problem, like a real deal issue where you need God to supernaturally provide something for you. I wanna ask you, if you need something supernatural, are you willing to pray supernaturally? Pray. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. God tells us to pray and he tells us to pray persistently. <laughs> What's your application so far? Where are you at? Where is God speaking to you? Because I have one more for you. Of course, there's many more than three, but these are my favorite three I could pick out. Number three, God's right hand offers promises. And I love it as Brother Steve's sermon last week was precious promises. What we learn from God's right hand is that he is offering promises to you. Whenever you make a deal, whenever you make a promise to somebody, my dad all the time, when he makes a deal with somebody, he shakes hands. What we do is we shake hands. Me and my best friend, Dakota, have had the same handshake for 10 years. And every time we do the handshake, it means the same thing. Loyalty, a bond, a friendship, a deal, trust. A handshake. We use our hands to show a bond and a promise that we intend to keep. Even though us as human beings fall short every time. God has made promises to you all over Scripture. And one of them is the promise of his right hand. I'll take you back to Isaiah 41.10. The promise we have in scripture is to fear not, for I am with you. Don't be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And he makes a promise. Not only that, but if you go back to Psalm 63, and you look at David's words, in verse, starting in verse seven, David says this, because you are my helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you, and then at the end of verse eight, your right hand holds on to me. The greatest thing God has offered you and promised to us is salvation that we are always so focused on this world and our daily lives, we don't think about eternity and how that's what we're called to live to. But that if you're a believer in Christ, understand this, you have a promise that God is going to bring you to heaven, that Jesus is preparing a place for you in his Father's house are many rooms, that when you die, at the end of your life, 
You have a promise as a believer in Christ that because of Jesus' shed blood and resurrection, when you enter the gates of heaven, your name is in the book of life and you have a home for all eternity. The greatest promise is salvation through Jesus Christ alone. No other. That is the greatest, greatest promise we will ever be offered. Hallelujah. And man, if we have that, what do we have to worry about? What do we have to be afraid of? If he's a shield, if he's pointing, if he's providing, if he's promising, what in the world are you so anxious for, so worried for, so stressed over? Because after Jesus died and rose from the grave, one of the most beautiful things in scripture, and this is where I'm gonna end, is this verse right here. I love it. Watch this. Now Jesus Christ sits. Here's where. Mark 16, verse 19. So the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's where Jesus is sitting right now. His right hand has us. 